Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. It's so good to have you along with us. If you're a guest or visitor, you're so, so welcome. My name is Hannah, and I'm married to the lovely James. And uh, my role um, with LVV is to oversee WTC in Northern Ireland. Hi, Mum. It's good to see you. She's not actually here to support me. I'm borrowing her iPad, and I think she's probably here so that she gets it back. Hi, Dad. I see you too. Uh, Before I start, I have an event um, that I would love to invite you to on uh, Monday the 14th of March, so it's not this Monday but next, at 7.30 in the venue. We are going to be joined by Lucy Pepiat, who is a systematic theologian um, and is the principal of WTC, and Lucy's going to be coming to share and teach with us around what it means to be human beings made in the image of of God, and if you haven't heard of WTC, WTC is essentially a college that happens in this venue every Tuesday night. It's um, interdenominational, it's charismatic, and it offers fully accredited part-time degree pathways in studying kingdom theology, church planting leadership, and student ministry. And so whether you're straight out of school and you don't have any other qualifications other than that, we have a certificate of higher education, and we also have a degree level, and then we also have graduate diploma and master's level. And um, this evening is going to have a time of worship. There's going to be discussion. Lucy will be teaching. And I'm going to unpack a little bit more around the practicalities of what it could look like for you to study with WTC. And so whether you know that you want to study theology, whether you're interested in theology and reading about it, um, and you want to come along and find out what it could look like for you to study part-time with WTC, or you've never thought about it before, but you know that you want to grow in your faith and you want to grow in confidence in handling the scripture, this is the evening for you and I would love to invite you. Um, All the information is up on this slide. There's also a QR code because we know everyone is a little bit fed up with signing up to things. So all you have to do is take your phone out, scan that, and you're able to sign up. It is great if you could sign up because then I know who's coming. But aside from that, you're so, so welcome um, to come along. Lovely. Um, If you're new with us this morning, over the last few weeks, we have been working our way through the book of Joshua and a bit of an overview. Joshua and the Israelites have been preparing to step into new ground. Joshua has been commissioned as the new leader of the Israelites and Rahab gave her testimony that God is already at work in the land that they're stepping into. And last week, we journeyed with the Israelites as they crossed over the Jordan and took their first steps into the new ground. And as they did this, they had to let go of some of the past, they had to fix their eyes on the presence of God and become consecrated people, a holy people of God. And today we move from the preparation of new ground into the practicalities of what it actually looks like to occupy new ground. 
as a church post-pandemic, but also as a world globally right now, we are stepping into something new. And as we unpack and work our way through the rest of Joshua, we'll notice that there's how-tos and how-not-tos for how we occupy this new ground. And so this morning, we're gonna be working our way through Joshua chapters five and six and begin, I'm gonna read a chunk from the middle of these chapters. So hopefully you have a Bible in front of you or near you. The words will also pop up on the screen, but if you have a Bible, um, definitely open that up. If you have a black Bible sitting on your seat, it's a page 146 um, at the bottom of that page. So this is Joshua chapter five, verse 13. Holy Spirit, come. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. Make seven priests carry the trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march round the city seven times when the priest, with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast of the trumpets, make the whole army give a loud shout and the walls of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight so Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and make seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march round the city with an armed guard ahead of the ark of the Lord. Keep your Bibles open here because we're going to camp out in chapter five for a while. And before we look at the text that we've just read, you may have noticed I skipped over about three quarters of chapter five to get there. And don't worry, I sense your disappointment that I didn't read the text on circumcision and Passover, but we're going to start here. So all is well. I've been married to James for three and a half years and this story is not going where you think it is. (laughs) Some of you got that. (laughs) I wonder if you live with someone, whether it is your family, housemates or your partners, have you ever bumped into these little routines and rituals that they have? I didn't realize James had any, nor did he, actually, until we moved in together, and I started disrupting his rituals with my own. Saturday night for James, if he knows he's gonna be busy up until bedtime. Step number one, fill the kettle so that the coffee chemistry apparatus is sitting streamlined, ready for Sunday morning. Step two, 
lay out an outfit. Yes, these things are prepared in 12 hours advancement, so there's no important decisions that need to be made first thing. And step number three, leave a pint glass of water at the bottom of the stairs so that when he comes in the front door, he has a direct route up the stairs to bed. I think he is the only person that does this. Saturday night rituals for me, if James has left for the evening and I'm off to bed, step number one, um, empty the conveniently filled um, kettle into my hot water bottle. Step number two, put any clothes that are lying around and as usual, they're normally James's. And three, in the spirit of sustainability, use any glasses of water to water my houseplants, especially that random one sitting at the bottom of the stairs. We often have rituals whenever we are preparing for something, and if you don't think that you do, just ask someone you live with and they will be sure to let you know. And I think the word rituals, it sometimes gets a wee bit of a bad rep. It's not always said in the most positive way, but rituals can, in fact, be really good things, depending on what they're rooted in. For James, his Saturday night ritual is rooted in the love of bringing his best self to work on a Sunday morning. And for me, my rituals are rooted in the love of welcoming people into our homes on a Sunday afternoon after church. And these rituals are along the same lines as what is going on in the first three quarters of chapter five, albeit circumcision and Passover, there's a lot more significance and motivations than my examples, but they are rituals. And their purpose, what they were rooted in, was to focus the Israelites on their identity as holy and consecrated people of God and to remind them of the bigger story that they're a part of. These rituals ensured that they were rooted in love both from God and rooted in love for God. And this is our first how-to for occupying new ground, to be rooted in love. You see, it's possible for us to step into new ground and to turn around and step straight back out of it again. The generation just before these guys, their mothers and fathers who Moses led out of Israel did exactly this. They were being led towards this promised land, this new ground, but in the wilderness they forgot their identity and they forgot the bigger story that they are a part of. New ground is scary, it's unknown, It's uncertain and without rituals to focus themselves on who they were, the holy people of God, and to remind themselves of God's faithfulness and the bigger story they were a part of, they became insecure. And they reached out to put their trust on something else in the world that would ultimately fail them. 
And in verse 12, the verse just before our teaching text, we read together how God beautifully affirms these rituals as he replaces their ancestors' wilderness diet of manna, which is a type of bread they've been eating for the last 40 years. And he replaces this with the longly anticipated food of Canaan. This is the first taste, literally, of the new ground that they have been promised. And the first how-to of occupying this ground is really simple. It requires us to be attentive to the rituals in our lives and what that they are rooted in. The Israelites' example of circumcision and Passover, they give us two practical questions that help us to stay rooted in love. They'll come up on the screen behind me. So number one, how do we remind ourselves of our identity to be holy and consecrated people of God? And number two, how do we focus ourselves on God's faithfulness and the bigger story that we're a part of? And if you're stuck for ideas, this book right here is all that you need. You see, when you read this book, you see how we're a part of a much bigger story than you could ever possibly imagine. And being educated and immersed in this story shows us not only how to step in to the new ground in front of us, but how to stay there, how to inhabit it, how to cultivate the land so that it's teeming with produce and how to become rooted in a love that can't be shaken no matter what is going on around you? What rituals do you have in your life to keep you rooted in love? So, rituals of circumcision and Passover, they're actually surprisingly beautiful whenever you dig a little deeper into them, but if you have questions around other aspects of these rituals, I really think WTC could be a very good option for you. So we find ourselves back to where we started again. Um, this is Joshua's encounter with the stranger. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. These three verses are a little bit unexpected and strange and even for listeners in ancient Israel, it would have felt a bit weird. Some theologians have noted that you could actually just lift these three verses out and the passage from chapter five, verse 12, would flow really, really naturally into chapter six. But within them is an encounter which is incredibly important for understanding the entire book of Joshua. And it's here in these three verses that we find two further how-tos for how we occupy new ground today. 
So Joshua and the Israelites are waiting at the base camp outside of Jericho. And geographically, this is situated right at the entrance to Canaan from the east. So it's in a really strategic position for them to occupy the new ground. The Israelites have rooted themselves in love through their rituals and now they're ready for what they think are the next steps. So whenever Joshua looks up and sees this stranger standing with a drawn sword, he's, he's on the defense, he's, he's ready for opposition and he knows that he needs to act swiftly and directly. Are you for us or for our enemies, he asks. Other translations read, are you one of us or are you one of our adversaries? Joshua needs to know whose side this person is on, ours or theirs. And the posture of Joshua, it doesn't feel too detached from our context today. In 2012, scholar Gordon Maddy says this, the political and economic realities of our time have generated a climate of fear and insecurity. We become desperate to know who our allies are, who can be trusted, and whom to name as the enemy. In particular, the so-called war on terror has generated a massive campaign of protectionism and patriotism. What is this guy saying? I don't know if you've ever heard of cancel culture. This is essentially what Maddie's is saying. We need to know who is good and who is bad. And if somebody says this, they're bad. If somebody says that, they're good until they say something that's bad and they effectively get canceled. They get moved from the good side to the bad side with that other guy. And this is what Maddie's is saying, that the culture we find ourselves in is incredibly binary. It's black and it's white, and we are desperate to know who is for us and who is for our enemies. And you know, so often this boils down to insecurity. If we're not rooted in love, we become defensive, we become protective, we even become patriotic. Verse 14, the stranger who we now find out to be the commander of the Lord's army responds with one word, neither. This is completely unexpected. Joshua and the Israelites are the chosen people of God, right? They've experienced God's deliverance from slavery, his sustenance throughout the wilderness, and they've literally just had the first taste of the new ground that he has promised them. And yet, here we have God saying that he isn't for them or against their enemies. Like, if I was Joshua, I would be a wee bit raging in this moment. I would be like, God, you've led me onto the cusp of a battle. Like, I really need you to be on my side right now. But Joshua doesn't respond like that. Rooted in love, he doesn't feel insecure in that moment. And instead, he falls face down in submission before God. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. Why does he do this? 
You see, the word neither, it changes everything for Joshua. And in fact, it changes everything for how we read the rest of Joshua. What this commander is saying to Joshua is that it's not about whether God is for him or against his enemies, but whether is he, is Joshua for or against God. Joshua, this isn't about your plans that you get to invite God into. This is about God's plans that you get to be invited into. And Joshua responds with his body as he falls face down in submission before God. How do we occupy new ground and stay in it? First, we need to be rooted in love, and secondly, we need to be submitted in heart. We need to stop asking God if he's on our side or convincing him to be a part of what we're doing, and instead we need to submit our hearts, our dreams, our plans, our desires, our everything to him. Just because you love God does not mean you can assume that he is for your plans. You might get that parking space outside established, or that new job, or that grant, so that you could do that really good thing. And I am not saying it's not okay to ask him for things, but what I'm trying to say is rather than assuming or trying to convince God to be on our side, when was the last time you submitted yourself to him and asked God, what do you want from me? This is what Joshua is asking when he responds, what message does my Lord have for his servant? How can I serve what you are doing? See, it's so much easier to say, God, I'm going to do this, come and be a part of it. And it's so much harder to say, God, what do you want from me? Kelly Graham, a very dear friend of mine and a part of this church community has started a new business called Barrow and Bloom and she works with flowers to make incredible windowsill boxes and wreaths. And Kelly didn't start her business during lockdown because she wanted to and then invited God in whenever she bumped into a problem or she needed something. Kelly started her business because she asked God, what do you want from me? And he showed her. He showed her the gaps in our city for those struggling with mental health and her heart began to break. And so she took what she had in her hands, a passion for gardening, and began selling window boxes in order to promote mental health and raise money for common well-being in Lisbon so they could offer free therapy sessions to those who need them. From the outside, Kelly's business still looks the same. But on the inside, there's a completely different posture. I wanna challenge you, what would it look like to move from the posture of inviting God into your life on your terms and instead reorder your life around his plans? 
See, if we don't, the world around us will convince us that we want to pursue a million different things, not all good and not all bad, but the world doesn't really care whether you succeed or not whether you stay in that new ground because somebody else can replace you. But what helps us to occupy new ground and stay in it for the long run is to be rooted in love and submitted in heart to the one who has your best interests. Verse 15, the final how-to for how we occupy new ground. The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This really simple gesture is an act of two things, of obedience and of worship. God asked Joshua to take off his shoes and he did which is obedience. And then when he did that, he stood barefooted and empty-handed on ground that was now holy because it was a place of encounter. And that is worship. I wonder if God asked you to take off your shoes during worship before we read this text together, would you have done it? Everybody, eyes closed. Hands up if you think you'd have done it. Maybe, maybe not. Genuinely, like in terms of sacrifice, you maybe would have got a few looks. It maybe would be a bit clunky if you're wearing docks, but it's really not too big of an ask. Like they're just shoes and sure you take them off once a day anyway. And Joshua would have been in Burks as well. Like he could have just kicked them off. But what's the point of this? What does Joshua show us through taking off his shoes? You see, it's so much less to do with what specifically God was asking him to do, and it's so much more to do with Joshua's willingness to do it. Joshua's willingness to practice obedience with the small was what enabled him to practice obedience with the big. And I mean the word practice whenever I say it. He practiced being obedient by listening and responding again and again and again daily. And by the time we get to this encounter in chapter five, obedience was such a habit for Joshua that God could have asked him to have done anything in that moment, and he would have done it. We kind of hear this in in chapter six with, with Jericho when God gives Joshua this incredibly mental strategy for occupying the new ground of Jericho. God, eventually, God essentially says, Stu, go and rally up seven of your staff members and take the whole of Lagan Valley Vineyard to the walled town of Hillsborough and march around the walls. And some of you are like, I'm sorry, Hannah, I have no idea where you're talking about. It's Royal Hillsborough for all you Hillsboroughites. If, Stu, go and march around the walls of Royal Hillsborough seven times, get James to play electric guitar, and then on the count of three, get everyone to shout as loud as they can, and the walls will come down. Eyes closed. Hands up, who's willing to do that? There are some smart people. Feeling completely unable to ever do that doesn't mean that you can't be obedient. It's just that the practice of obedience is like a muscle. 
You need to work it regularly. You need to warm it up by stretching it that little bit further than you thought that you could. And if you don't use it for a while, it'll feel tight when you try to use it again. I've been reading this week about how the land surrounding Jericho was along a rift valley and it would have experienced earthquakes about four times a century and excavations have revealed clear evidence of the walls of Jericho coming down once. They're not too sure if there were any more times but definitely once. This isn't just a story. Joshua was another human being, just like you or me, who actually carried out this mental strategy. And he did this because his willingness to practice obedience in the small built a muscle that meant that he was willing to practice obedience in the big. How do we occupy new ground and stay in it? One, we need to be rooted in love. Two, we need to be submitted in heart. And three, we need to be willing in practice. If you're able, will you stand with me this morning? I don't know about you, but I have a lot of muscles that need stretched. Rooted in love, what rituals do you have in your life and what are they rooted in? What steps do you need to take today to become rooted in love? Maybe it's what you reach for first thing in the morning or last thing before you go to sleep. Maybe it's pausing to share a thought or scripture before a meal together. Number two, submitted in heart. What areas of your life have you submitted to God? What areas have you not? Rather than inviting God into what you're doing, what would it look like for you to ask him, what do you want from me. You mightn't know straight away. You'll need to keep asking him because sometimes it takes us a while to fully understand his answer if it doesn't quite line up with what we thought our plans were. And number three, willing in practice. What's stopping you from being willing to practice obedience in the small things? forgiveness, loving your enemies, speaking well of each other, spending time daily in the scriptures. And as we respond in worship this morning, I wonder if I could be so bold as to ask you, what was the last thing God asked you to do? Did you do it? The last thing God asked me to do was to speak, and that was three years ago. And after I finally said yes in the summer, I thought that would be it. I didn't hear anything else. But what if the last thing God asked you to do, you were meant to keep doing it? 
keep practicing it, to keep exercising that muscle again and again and again and again. Maybe he asked for you to pray for that person in your family. Maybe he gave you a word or a picture that you spoke out to someone. What was the last thing God asked you to do and did you do it? Maybe you're meant to keep doing it. And secondly, just like Joshua, I feel like some of you are going to feel a prompting in your heart that you need to either lie down or take your shoes off, literally. And you need to know that this building right here is your space. It's not the staff team. It's not those who've been here longer than you. This is your moment of encounter between you and God. And this venue is your holy ground. And so if you feel like that's you, or you start to feel your heart beating a wee bit faster, you feel a weight in your stomach, I dare you to take that step in practicing obedience this morning, to take your shoes off or to lie down in reverence before God. And so Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. We need you. We welcome you in this place. Come alongside each of us this morning and minister to us. Just like Joshua, we stand barefooted and empty-handed in reverence before you, God. Invite us into your story. Holy Spirit, come. Two things I, I want to pray for before we close. First, I want to pray for those of us who want to take those steps into new ground, but don't quite know what it looks like. Neither did Joshua. He had no idea what was around the corner. And so if that's you, why don't you close your eyes and put your hands out in front of you. This is just a really simple posture of saying, God, I'm ready to receive. I'm open to hear from you. to go and new learn skills but that you've already placed things in their heart and I just ask for you right now God just to call that out to them will you highlight that and as they submit their hearts to you will you break their hearts for what breaks yours Show them what tools of the kingdom they hold in their hands. Holy Spirit, come and minister to them right now. 
secondly, whilst you guys are still receiving, I want to pray for those of you who have either um, got married in the last year um, are about to get married or have welcomed a new baby into your family. I just want to invite you to put your hands out in front of you because you are in new ground now. And what does it look like as a family to be rooted in love, to be submitted in heart and willing in practice? If you're next to or close to someone who has their hands out right now, I'd love for you just to reach a hand out to pray for them. If you're about to get married, you've been married in the last year, or you've welcomed a new baby into your family over the last year. God, I pray for your plans over these families. I pray that as they submit their hearts to you, that you will bring them alive in your story. That you strengthen them for the adventure of what it means to follow you. And you give them boldness and courage to lead each other into deeper communion with you. every moment in the quiet moments of encounter. Holy Spirit, come and minister to them. Holy Spirit, come. We're not in a rush.